Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Inside Writing. Uh, today, we're going to be diving into the wide and ever-expanding world of young adult literature. Uh, but before we get started, the pre-show breakdown, as always. At any point in the discussion, if you have any questions you want to ask our panelists, uh, you can submit them via the Q&A button on your Zoom dashboard. Again, you can submit those at any time, and once we get to the Q&A portion, I will pick some of those questions to pose to our panelists. Uh, also, stay tuned at the very end of the show for instructions on how to participate in the Twitter pitch party. Now, on to young adult. I'll start this with a bit of YA knowledge from David Levithan, a, a YA author, who said, the defining characteristic of YA literature is emotional truth. Even if we're not the same as the characters we read, they're all dealing with things, issues of who they are, who they should be, what they should and shouldn't do that we all deal with in their own ways. We'll talk more about that here in a bit, but first, uh, we need to meet our panelists. So uh, first, as a literary agent at Nelson Literary Agency, Curisa Robinson. Hi, Curisa. Hi. And next up, uh, author of the books, Jack of Hearts and Other Parts, Camp and More, uh, Lev Rosen. Hello, Lev. There he is. All right, so we're going to start our questioning the way we always do, with our best shot at defining the subject of the day. So, Curisa, in the simplest terms possible, what is young adult? Um, I mean, generally, it's a book that usually has a teen or teen protagonist um, who are grappling with some kind of transformative issue in their life. Lev, anything to add to that? Uh, I would agree with that. I would say that it, it when we, we tend to think of YA as very coming of age, you know, in that very traditional sense, and I don't think that's always the case, but I think that it's sort of linked to the genre in a way that you have to say it's not a coming of age if you are writing YA, and it's not. Gotcha. So staying on the subject of defining YA a bit, and you've touched on this already a little bit, but what are some themes that keep YA above middle grade and below adults? Let's say, Carissa, if you don't mind taking that first. Um, I think a lot of them um, tend to be uh, about having their own voice and discovering their own take on things, um, like specific issues, like whether it's like some kind of recognition that their parents are human beings who make mistakes or um, some division between a friend group. Um, it's kind of like uh, learning how to kind of are beginning to follow your own path. Mm -hmm. and, and Lev, as somebody who's written across the spectrum from middle grade to YA to adult, how do you compartmentalize one voice from another? I think what makes YA really special when I'm writing it is when you think about a teen reader, I think with teens, the characters that you're writing, they become really like their best friends. Like, you know, you're reading a book, that is a person to a teenager. But I think with adults, there's a little more um, cynicism and they don't get as close. And I think with middle grade and younger, they're still sort of figuring out the art of storytelling um, and how those formulas work. And so it's, uh, it, it doesn't get quite as close and intimate really as it does with a teen reader. And I think that knowing that your teen reader is essentially going to view these characters as people, as friends, 
they're going to bond with them the same way they do with the people around them. I think that writing YA becomes this sort of gift and a responsibility because you want to make sure that these are people who are going to help your readers. They aren't going to, you know, they're not going to poison your readers in any way. And I think that sometimes you have books where like at the end, you know, in a YA someone does something out of character. YA readers are going to be the ones who catch that more than anyone else and don't forgive it more than anyone else. Teresa, you, you rep across the spectrum, too, from middle grade to adult. Did you have anything to add to that? What, what separates YA from those other two in terms of, in, of, in terms of theme? Um, I mean, I essentially agree. Um, I will say that, um, like, very much so YA readers become, like, extreme fans. Um, shipping is a thing. Um, I don't really see shipping happening in middle grade. It doesn't really happen in adult as much as either. depends on, like, what the genre is. Um, but yes, uh, young adult readers really, really get invested in the stories and the characters. So staying on the subject of theme, uh, since it is such a big part of YA, Teresa, some of the themes that really pop in YA address, you know, bigger issues such as race, sexuality, general progressivism. Why is it that these themes find such a home in YA? Um, I think because that's what we're dealing with as a society. That's what kids are dealing with. Like, I mean, those conversations aren't absent from high schools. They're not absent from friends groups. And teens are literally dealing with those things, like, in their everyday life. So I think it's helpful for them to see different perspectives on how to approach the issues or how someone else grapples with the issues. And, and Lev, you, you don't shy away from these themes either. Uh, even going back to your middle grade novel, The Memory Wall, you're confronting a child whose parents has Alzheimer's. Uh, while your next two YAs, or your, the two YAs that you have out now, deal so strongly with what it is to be queer. Do you actively engage in these themes when you start writing a book, or are you just there to tell a story and the theme just kind of happens along the way? I think that, you know, as writers, the thing that we, our, our primary responsibility is essentially to hold your attention for as many pages that, as there are in the book. That's like goal number one. And anything beyond that becomes what makes the book special. So you can, you know, I, I, you can write a book that will hold your attention and someone will read it really fast and they'll put it down and then they'll immediately forget all about it. And I think that you find a lot of those books out in the world. Um, but I think if you want to make a book that resonates, that, that really holds your reader's attention in a way that makes them think and feel, then yeah, you have to address issues in a way that feels authentic. And I think the best way to do that usually is to write about stuff that's important to you. Um, and I think that, you know, in my YA novels, which are, uh, you know, about exploring sort of facets of queerness and liberal homophobia, I think that that's the stuff I grew up with. You know, I, as a queer kid, I grew up with a particular type of homophobia around me that I want to explore and that I want to make sure teens today sort of get, understand that they're not alone in experiencing that. And I think that YA in general is attracted to those themes because a lot of us writers are writing with that in mind. We're writing, hey, you know, this is something I went through. This is something that's personal to me. 
how would a teen version of myself like react to how do I talk to that teen version of myself in this story in a way that hopefully helps them and makes them feel like what they're going through is something that people have been through before and how do I guide them and I think that when you're thinking about those readers again that urge to sort of guide without condescending is uh, what really drives a lot of the more important stuff in YA. But I also think YA tends to be generally braver. I think it gets back to what I was saying before, adult readers can be more cynical. And so when you're approaching more interesting topics um, or more controversial topics, uh, I don't like that word, controversial, um, but more honest topics, let's say, in adults, I think that, uh, you know, there's this thing that adults can do where they can sort of disregard it. And they can enjoy it, but like they can disregard it as well. I think with teens, teens are sort of naturally activists in their own way. They, they believe in something, they're discovering these beliefs and that belief propels them forward. It becomes something that they become really committed to. Um, and so it's just natural when you're writing YA to write with those beliefs in mind as well. Mm -hmm. You touched on a lot of things that we're going to get back to, uh, especially that subject of authenticity. Um, but I want to jump jump over to something else real quick. Uh, oftentimes, young uh, adult fiction tends to focus on what's called the human condition, uh, while young adult has kind of its own version known as the teen experience. Uh, so let, let's play the definition game again. Curie, so what, what is the teen experience? Oh, my God. Um... I mean, I think it's essentially like a more, I guess, PG-13 version of the adult experience. Um, it's not like kids aren't thinking about the same things um, or kind of engaging with the same things. Um, it's just in a more kind of um, way that is more conducive to their maturity level. And, and Lev, how do you how do you capture that teen experience in your story? I mean, I think it really is about sort of remembering your own teenage experience. There's no such thing as like one universal teen experience, you know. Uh, and every time I see one of those articles, like saying, you know, the teens in YA don't seem like teens, I get very annoyed because the idea that teens are one homogenous group makes no sense to me at all. Um, so I think that what's really important in YA is having as many perspectives as possible, as many different stories as possible. And I think that because of that, the, the only universality we're really seeing across that is this idea of like figuring something out about yourself. And I think that's what the teen experience can be boiled down to. It's about what is this character going to learn about themselves through these actions, through this story, through what happens. Mm -hmm. So I want, to, I want to briefly revisit the quote that I used uh, at the top of the show with, with David Levithan saying that the, the defining characteristic of young adult literature is the emotional truth. Curiosa, do you think that is the defining characteristic and what do you see as the emotional truth? Obviously, as Lev said, there's not one emotional truth, but, but what do you see as, as the key characteristic? Um, I honestly think it depends on the, the writer, um, but it tends to be 
in the voice of the character in the character development um like the lens in which the character sees the world like all of that leads to the emotional resonance of the story for teen readers um and the more authentic it feels and the more it feels like someone they would know in everyday life um the more they connect with the story mm -hmm. and and lev uh do you write with the emotional truth in mind? Like using Camp or Jack of Hearts as an example, what, what did you feel was the emotional truth that, you, that, that was in these books? I mean, I don't love this term emotional truth. I think it's very vague. Um, but I think that when you're writing YA and what I did with Jack of Hearts and what I did with Camp is my narrators, my protagonists, they both want, they both wanted something and what they wanted was just about, was, was about who they were, essentially. And I think that goes, that's true for like almost all literature though. I think that, you know, you need a character who wants something and what they want is going to be how your reader sees them. But I think that the things a, a teenager wants can sometimes be significantly less nuanced or not necessarily less nuanced, but uh more like a primary color <laughs> of desire you know it's it's a bright thing it's a shining thing as opposed to what an adult wants which might be significantly more shaded or what a child wants which might be simple um uh, and i think with teens it occupies that space between simple and shaded where you still have enthusiasm of youth where you still have that like drive, that want. And it's before you start going, you know, oh God, but you know, if I get this, then all these things will happen. What are the consequences? You don't have that necessarily, that, that forethought because you want the thing so badly when you're a teenager. And I think that's what's really important to remember. And I think that the ways teenagers go about achieving their goals have to be very teen too. They can't be sophisticated, like complicated political schemes necessarily. I think teens, you know, obviously there will be sophisticated uh, political teens, but I think that the way they pursue those goals will still have a certain clumsiness to it. Or at the very least, it'll start out clumsy and it'll become more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So let's let's get off the subject of theme for a bit uh, and revisit YA as a, not as a genre but as, as its own little entity. Uh, Curiosa, YA really exploded onto the literary scene about a decade ago with novels like The Hunger Games. H how has the genre evolved since then? Um, I think one of the bigger things is that it's increasingly gotten more diverse. Um, and there's been calls for it to be even more diverse. So the kinds of stories and the ways stories are told has been evolving um, and been more um, representative of the different cultures we have in our society. Um, and it's just, I think, gotten a lot more intricate, um, especially with fantasy. Um, typically, you would think of fantasy as just something that's commercial and meant to be enjoyed. But a lot of fantasies these days are also talking about these serious issues of um, like social economics and um, refugees and things like that. Mm -hmm. 
So Lev, I'm curious, uh, especially about your, what, ended, what got you into young adult in the first place, because you did write middle grade, you did write adult, you ended up at YA. Has YA always sort of been a part of your artistic vision? At what point in, in the young adult evolution did you start getting attracted to it? Um, I've always been interested in YA. My first book was sort of one of those crossover adult ones um, where they they published it as adult with hope for more young adult crossover. Um, and then there was a sort of, then my husband became the president of Yalsa, so it became sort of a conflict of interest for me to be writing YA for a little while. Um, but once he his term was done, um, I was able to start sending it out there again. But it's always, I've always been interested in those stories because I remember, you know, being a queer teenager and really not seeing myself in a lot of books. And also feeling like, feeling like the books that I was seeing myself in as a teenager, even today, weren't really the, the stories I wanted to see told. And there's nothing wrong with them, obviously. It's just that sometimes you want your own story out there too. Mm -hmm. So curious you touched on a lot of the trends already developing in YA with it becoming more diverse, more intricate. So Lev, I wanted to, to ask you, do you write with trends in mind? Do you try to catch a wave or do you just write the story that you want to tell? No, <laughs> never, never try to catch a trend, never try to catch a wave. The way these things work with, you know, if you're unagented, finding an agent, and then if you have an agent, the agent selling the book, and then the book taking like a year to come out. By the time, if you are writing something that is trendy now, by the time you are, are that book comes out, that trend will be long over, and editors know it. Um, editors are a year before. You have to write what you want to write, and if it hits a trend wave, like congratulations, awesome, um, but attempting to write towards a trend is is almost always going to end in disaster i think gotcha curious did you have anything any other trends that you see that are coming up now that might fade away in time that kind of stuff um i don't really pay attention to trends um like i'd rather be like a trendsetter um than a follower um and i definitely don't consider diversity as a trend it's something that like obviously should have been happening a long time ago and should really be ramped up more now um but yeah it's it's hard like the same thing for an author for me to kind of pay attention to trends means I'd have to find that manuscript right now and sell it right now and that's just not quite possible mm -hmm. so I want to get back to the subject of authenticity Lev you touched on it a bit earlier um, it, it's such a big part, especially for kids and teens. So how, how is it that you're able to capture that YA voice in such an authentic form? I think it, it has to do with making sure that you are essentially, that you know your character and that you are writing this character as a fully fledged human being and all the characters around them. I think that's what's really the most important thing is making sure that that character feels like a human being. I think that also, you know, when we talk about authenticity, I think that you have to keep in mind who you're writing for too. I think that like, I, I'm someone who talks a lot about the fact that a lot of books about queer teen men are written by women. 
um, and how that is a problem. I'm not a stay in your own lane person. I am a get to the back of the line person, like champion own voices before you start, you know, dipping your toe in the water of writing outside your voice. But I also think that if you are gonna write outside your voice, keep in mind who that book is for. Because usually we write for ourselves first and foremost. And I think that when we are writing for ourselves, we can end up fetishizing characters that we're creating for our pleasure. I think that this is what you tend to see with, uh, with, with books about queer male teens written by straight women is they tend to be, not all of them, there are definitely exceptions, but a lot of them tend to be sort of uh, uh, fetishized and written as adorable, fluffy, you know, like something for these women to enjoy. Usually I would use significantly more frank language here. Uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to find a polite way to say it, but th these are books that women uh, would enjoy in a personal way but that has nothing to do with actual queer people. And then you have these queer teens looking for themselves in books. If they find these books, I think what happens is instead of seeing themselves, instead of seeing an authentic version of themselves, what they see is a fetishized version of themselves. What they see is a version of themselves created for someone else's pleasure. And I think that if that's your only reflection, and for many, minority kids that you know who don't see themselves in books because even with diversity finally being on the rise like you know queer people black people stories about them are significantly small part of the market like really tiny i don't know if carissa has numbers um but i think it's somewhere in the 10 percent range like it's really ridiculously small um and so if you're looking around and there are very few books about you, and the ones you do find aren't really about you, but are about you as an object, then you start thinking to yourself, especially if you're a teenager, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be this object. Maybe I'm here for other people's pleasure. And that will really screw up a lot of teenagers. And that's what I, I think that writing YA is a responsibility too. I think that's something you really have to keep in mind. Who is your audience? Who is this for? And who is actually going to pick it up? And if you keep in mind that those teenagers who will see themselves in this book then and you you bring in authenticity readers i think then you will write something that is for them even if it even if you aren't one of them i think you can do that i just think it's a lot more work and it takes a lot more separation and sort of self-reflection when you're writing it and i think the first thing you need to ask yourself is why are you writing this why do you want to write this and a lot of those answers are not going to sound pretty to people. Very well said. Uh, Curisa, in addition to, if you have anything to add to that, I was curious what you see as being some of the struggles that authors run into when trying to sound authentic uh, and creating characters that are real despite maybe writing a younger character. Do you, do you have any things that you run into more than, more than usual? Um, like in general, um, Voice is really hard. I mean, it's especially harder in middle grade, but it's also pretty hard in YA. Um, there tends to be like this first person POV that a lot of YA writers use. Um, and it's not always um, connecting in the right way for it to actually sound like a real teenager in like 2020. 
like it, like the dialogue can be very off or sound like sort of cliche or like your older parent is like overhearing something and trying to mimic it. Um, so those are some of the things that I see. And I think for me, um, part of the reason why I gravitated towards YA and middle grade is because there are parts of me that still relates to the 12 year old that I was and there are parts of me that still relates to the 16 year old I was. And so when you like get that manuscript that has that right voice, you can like go back to the 16 year old who you were and see that connection. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanna follow up on that a bit because, you know, it is primarily aimed at a young audience, but the truly great young adults will transcend that age barrier and appeal to adults too. What is it about those ones that sort of rise above the others that makes them stand apart? Um, I think it's just easy to relate to. Like, even if you're an adult, there's still things that you maybe nostalgically remember from your coming of age, or even things that you didn't have, especially for, for uh, marginalized groups. Like, the amount of joy I had in seeing to all the boys I've loved before on TV, even though, like, I'm not Korean American, like, just to see a Asian girl have this kind of simple love story, like, it made me, the 16-year-old who I used to be, like, very delighted. So I think it's just being able to kind of see the stories that you wish you had, or even stories that you did have, but you're kind of feeling nostalgic for, those things kind of resonate with adults. Mm -hmm. and, and Lev, obviously, you're primarily writing for a teen audience in mind. Um, do you ever incorporate stuff that you feel like only adults will get or, or do you just primarily focus on that, that main audience? I mean, I think that one thing to keep in mind is I think the, the, the last statistic I saw was something like over 50% of readers of YA are actually adults. Um, and so you, we, we have this weird sort of scenario where there are people even writing YA for adults and they know what they're doing. And I think that that's very strange and I, I, I understand it from like a financial viewpoint, um, but I think if you're really gonna write YA, at, then you know, you don't need to have, uh, you don't need to be speaking to an adult audience. You know, an adult is going to be getting into this book knowing what, that it is YA and they're going to enjoy it for what it is. And I think if you start being like, you know, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of examples and they all just, when I, it's like Carissa was saying, you know, it's like the slaying that sounds a little off. It's the, it sounds like a mom trying to talk to their kids sort of vibe. And I think if that's the mentality you go in with, like, oh, I'm gonna sound like these trendy little kids, you know, like, uh, then I think that that is gonna be a bad book because you are condescending to your reader. You are like not treating them as a, as, as a person who deserves to read this story and deserves to see this story. Instead, you're, you're treating them like someone who you are amusing yourself by telling the story. And that is not the best way to write a book, at least not the best way to write a good book. Mm -hmm. So Lev, uh, one of my favorite lines from a review of Camp uh, came from The Independent. They said, this is a welcome respite from a mainstream narrative that often positions queerness as a site of trauma and misery. I'm curious, was that a goal that you set out to accomplish when you wrote this book? 
I mean, it is, it's a romantic comedy. It's supposed to be a happy book for sure. Um, I think that, I think that it's worth noting that The Independent is a British newspaper. And so um, the, the way that they're viewing literature over there is very different, at least queer literature. I'm not super well-versed, but I know that the reactions to my books and the reactions to queer lit that happened in the UK are very different than the ones that happened in the US. Um, and in the US, we definitely have this sort of argument going on, like, where it, it, at first, YA about queer people, which has been going on since before Stonewall, like, you know, the first book came out, uh, the first official queer YA came out just a couple months before Stonewall. And um, it was, it was definitely a sort of tragic sort of mellow it wasn't i don't want to say melodrama but it, it it goes back and forth on whether you know queerness is something to, that makes you suffer or not it has and i think that that is something we dealt with a lot like uh you know these queer stories about queer teens the, there's always the the kid who has to get beaten up and you definitely still see that narrative happening a lot and i think that people responded to that by saying no queer people need to only have happy stories from now on but the issue is that anytime you start saying there's only one story for queer people, there's only one story for this group, you, you immediately like cancel out all these other voices. And I think that the idea that these stories have to be nothing but happiness and light is a, a bad one, just because telling anyone that stories about this particular group have to be nothing but happiness and light. But that's not to say that, you know, we also have to, go back to queer kids always being, you know, these, these tragic figures. I think there are more than those two stories. And the idea that people are essentially saying, these are the two stories and they have to fight is incredibly unnuanced and incredibly offensive to queer people. And I think that this idea that like, you know, you're helping queer people by saying, uh, only happy stories from now on, no sad stories. I refuse to see queer people in sad stories. We will not be purchasing those anymore. I think that that is just as sort of damaging to queer kids because it tells them, you know, if you are not a happy person, if you are not this, you know, cinnamon roll of a human being, then you are not a good queer person. And I think that anytime we have these conversations and start saying, well, no, queer stories have to be X, we have immediately run into a big problem. I, I like that term, a cinnamon roll of a person. I'm gonna start using that. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> that is like full queer, that, oh, not queer, that's full YA slang. Yeah, uh, cinnamon roll, cinnamon roll. <laughs> so you brought up a good, uh, an interesting point and curious, I wanna get your take on this. Does the YA market ever become too saturated on a given subject? Uh, I think what happens is that editors see a perceived trend and then all these houses scramble to get their one book in that trend and then you end up having like 50 versions of that. And then they start saying the market is saturated and nobody wants it anymore, which is not really necessarily true. Um, it just has to sort of kind of rebalance itself out. Um, but, you know, people were telling me that uh, they weren't buying fantasy anymore two years ago when I sold a fantasy. So it just kind of depends. Um, you just don't want things to be feeling like generic. You want 
whatever genre you're writing for to have um, a press perspective that only you can write. And, and that kind of preludes the next question I was going to ask is, with so many books out there, how does any given writer do something that's different than what's already been done? Um, I think you have to tap into yourself and your own experience. Um, so for my client's book that came out a couple weeks ago, it is an epic fantasy, um, takes place in like a fictionalized West African region. Um, but a lot of what she drew on was her own experience with anxiety. So one of the characters who is a cinnamon roll, um, he has anxiety and he has to deal with it through the course of the novel, but his anxiety is also tied into the way he uses his magic. So, you know, I haven't really seen that before in fantasy. So she is already bringing something new to the genre. Mm -hmm. What's the name of the book? Song of Race and Ruin. Oh, that's yours. Congratulations. Yeah, thank Congratulations. you. So, Lev, going off of that, I, I assume your answer is going to be much the same, but this whole doing something different, for you, do you have that in mind? Or again, you're just trying to tell your story, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly there are times where, and I think every writer does this, you'll see a story and you'll be like, no, 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 no. I could do it better. And you will attempt to write your own version of that. But I think the key there is your own version of it. And I think that as long as you are bringing yourself to this book, as long as you're bringing your own sort of ideas, then it will make it new in some way. And um, I think that what's, what's really important about making sure your book is yours is making sure that you understand all these characters, understand what makes them essentially tick. And once you have that figured out, that's where, where uniqueness is gonna come from, I think more than anything else. I think some people will try to find it in world building and you can definitely find it there. Um, but more often than not, it's gonna be those characters, especially in YA. And uh, I wanted to actually piggyback on what Teresa was saying before, which is that, yeah, when we see trends sort of pile up, what happens inevitably is like some book does really well and then a whole bunch of people are like, oh, that's doing well now. We're going to get that book in. And I think uh, what's important to remember is those, those first 10 books are almost always, you know, written by straight white people and about straight white people. And so the trend sort of becomes a straight white trend. And that locks out a lot of people too, because all of a sudden it's like, well, we already did this just because there's anything. And I think you have to keep in mind that uh, trying to chase a trend is where you're going to, even if you are like adding your own spin to it, uh, even if you're making character queer, I think that you're still gonna run into walls unless the book is really special. So you can't just be like, this is, this is sort of what I've been trying to say, what I was trying to say earlier. You can't just say, I'm gonna do it better and then, you know, make the character you in some way. It has to also be a character that is alive and special in some way. And that is really what makes a book stand out in that genre flood. Mm -hmm.
So I want, I want to touch on something else that often comes up in young adult and middle grade as well, that this, this idea of being coming off as preachy with your theme. So uh, curious, uh, how, how do you avoid being preachy? And what does it mean, first off, to be preachy with your theme? Um, I think it always harkens back to um, writing from a perspective of your own experience. Um, I don't know that I've seen any books that were considered preachy. I know that in terms of like negative uh, comments that people always say you're trying to indoctrinate our kids and that kind of nonsense. But I think talking about an issue that you face that a lot of other people potentially face is not going to be preachy as long as you're writing it from an authentic perspective. Lev, is that something, you, do you ever worry about being preachy or, or, or does that not occur to you? I think it's about that, that making sure you're not condescending to your reader again thing. Um, I think that preachy is one of those words that gets sort of tossed at a lot of books when it does not apply. It's like, oh, is that book about, you know, police violence against black people? That's immediately preachy to a lot of people because they don't want to hear it. And so the moment you start, you know, telling a story that they just want to do this, to them, that's preachy. But that's about racism. That's about homophobia. That's about their own prejudices. So I think we need to separate that idea of preachy from the actual sort of YA that feels like maybe it has a little too after school special, let's say. I think that there are definitely books that can veer that way where it feels like things get wrapped up in a nice, neat moral bow. And I think that, again, that has to do with making sure you are writing with that teenager with respect for that teenager and not sort of uh, condescending and being like, and this is for teenagers so that they can learn this valuable lesson. That is not the mentality you should bring to YA. The mentality you should bring to YA is, this is for teenagers who already know and who are going to experience this. I think that that, is the way to respect them. Um, and that's the sort of, that's the way to avoid that kind of preachiness, I think. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, there's also this question of how dark is too dark for YA, since it is for a teenage audience. So I wanna hear both your takes. Is, is there a, how, how dark is too dark for a YA audience? You start with you, Carissa. Oh. I don't know. I'm I'm inherently dark, so I don't know if I can say <laughs> what level of darkness is too dark. I mean, the book I just talked about, like the two main characters are trying to murder each other. Um, so for me, I, I don't know where you draw the line. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to say. I don't I don't know. I don't quite know. That's all right. Lev, curious, do you ever worry about being too dark or do, do you just see where it goes. No, I think darkness is one of those things that actually is is pretty fine in YA. I mean, there are YAs about teen serial killers. <laughs> like, you know, they, they, that I think that darkness isn't something you need to worry about so much. I think there are a few sort of hard, fast rules or lines that you really should not cross in YA. Um, but those usually have to do with sex. And um, as someone who, you know, put a guide to anal sex in his first young adult novel, I enjoy pushing those lines as far as they will go. But generally in YA, the big thing you don't, big thing I've been told you don't wanna see is a teen character intentionally seducing an adult. 
That is the one thing that I've been told, no, absolutely not, Lev. Gotcha. Uh, so before we jump into audience questions, I want to do a few uh, quick, quick answer uh, questions. So first off, I want to do a little mini case study with each of you involving a project that you've either written or worked on uh, each at the de debut. Starting with you, Curisa, uh, Slay by Brittany Morris became a, a national bestseller, garnered all kinds of praise. What was it that set this book apart from the crowd? Um, I think it talked about something that made teens feel seen um, and a specific thing that really hadn't been talked about before, which was, you know, safe spaces. Um, but it was couched in this uh, way that also talked for us gamers of color about the kind of racism we're subjected to uh, in the video game world. So I think it resonated with so many uh, teens of color because we've all, we've all been there. Um, and even people who aren't um, teens of color, who are just gamers, who love video games, also could understand and relate to the story. And Lev, with your YA debut, Jack of Hearts, uh, it also got phenomenal reviews. Uh, it was called the most important queer novel of the decade. Same question to you. What was it about this story that, that you feel like broke it apart from all the other ones? Well, I think that Jack of Hearts, I sort of wrote in this, this sort of rage against the one story I felt like I was seeing for gay teens, um, which was this very cinnamon roll, uh, you know, love interesty, like it's only a romance, it has to be sweet, everything has to go well, or the other one, which is the coming out story. And like, those are both very valuable to see. I think teens need to see themselves having happy queer romance and then they need to see coming out stories. But I felt like the fact that those were the only two stories that we were allowed to have was not okay. And what I really wanted to do was you know, write that book for the slutty kid. I really uh, wanted that. So I wrote a book about a slutty kid who was not gonna fall in love and was gonna have sex with as many different guys as possible because that's what he enjoys. And um, uh, out in paperback now. And I think that uh, what made that special was the fact that it was a story that people hadn't really been seeing. It was a, a version of a queer story that we had not been seeing yet. And I think that it spoke to people who were hungry for that. It spoke to people who had experienced the kind of homophobia that the stalker in the book uh, inflicts on Jack. And I think it spoke to people who had never had any kind of queer sex education and got it from the columns that Jack wrote. And I think that it spoke to people who wanted to see a queer kid who was kind of a little bit of a train wreck because it feels like very often queer people are not allowed to be that in fiction. Queer people have to be sweet and nice and good students. And this is a kid who wears eyeliner, smokes in the bathroom and is lucky to get a B in class. And I think that that was something that was new and interesting to people. And that's why it garnered a lot of critical praise, um, even if <laughs> I think that obviously it encountered a lot of fairly predictable roadblocks in terms of gatekeeping. Gotcha. Uh, so last two questions, uh, just a general question of what are some must read young adults either that are coming out now or that sort of shaped your interest in young adult. And yes, this is a place where you can pitch your own books. So 
We'd love to hear about camp. Curisa, we'd love to hear about the book you brought up uh, earlier as well. We'll start with you, Curisa. What are some must-read YAs? Um, obviously, Slay, um, Songs of Rapes and Ruin. Um, but for fantasy lovers, I really enjoyed Merciful Crow um, and also The Gray Shear. Those were two felt um, very doing something very different with the genre of fantasy in different ways. And Lev, your recommendations? Well, obviously I will recommend Camp. (laughs) (laughs) My queer summer camp romantic comedy in which a uh, kid who's been going to this camp for four years uh, and he's a nail polish wearing unicorn loving theater kid, but he has been in love for all four years with a mask for mask camper, which if you are straight and don't know that term is a a gay man who considers himself straight acting and is only interested in other straight acting gay men. And this year our protagonist Randy comes back remade as a masked fantasy um, in an attempt to win uh, this mask for mask guy who he's been in love with for four years. And of course that's a terrible plan. So it does not go the way he wants it to. <laughs> um, but it's about toxic masculinity. It's about uh, queer community and it's about love. Um, and then I think there are a lot of really great books out. Being Remy Cameron by Julian Winters is an excellent YA um, about sort of Figuring Yourself Out. Um, Surrender Your Sons by Adam Sass will be out in the fall. That is a fantastic book uh, if you want to talk about breaking into that queer train wreck character. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and my first book, Jack Parts and Other Parts, which is out now in paperback about a queer uh teen sex advice columnist who gets a stalker who tries to force them back into the closet gotcha thank you both for your recommendations uh i'm gonna go over into the q a now and grab some questions from our audience so i'll, I'll ask both of you this question curious we'll start with you how does a young adult book differ from a coming of age book or are they synonymous um i think there can be coming of age themes in young adult books but um it's not necessarily like uh in how does it it's not necessarily like it has to be coming of age like it could be about like a particular issue in that moment in the character's life but it doesn't necessarily mean that um it's like a huge growing awakening for them as a character lev anything to add to that I think that coming of age is something you can find in adult books very easily because I think we're constantly coming of age as we sort of figure out, you know, coming of age is 25, post-college, coming of age, 30s, you know, entering some sort of attempt at adulthood, coming of age, 40s, entering actual adulthood, etc. And I think that, you know, YA, there's just a lot, there's a lot more of those sort of coming of age experiences and they happen a lot closer together. Um, So I think that YA very often is a coming of age, but a coming of age isn't necessarily a YA. So next question, Lev, I'll start, I'll send this one to you. Uh, how do you keep young adult dialogue authentic and not dated? Not, don't use, don't go crazy with the slang. That's a big one. Um, I think that what's really important 
in developing any voice is listening to the way people talk. Um, always, always, always just be out on the street uh, listening to the way people talk. And I think that once you figure out the rhythms of people speaking, you can figure out your character's voices pretty easily. But the moment you start using too much slang or, 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 or writing dialogue that feels like, I'm trying to think of the word for it, that feels as though the character is speaking for their generation as, a pa as opposed to for themselves, um, that is where you, you enter a problem, like where you're like, this is how teens speak. That is not what you need to be thinking of. This is how John speaks. This is how Adam speaks. This is how Jane speaks. That is what you need to be focusing on. And yes, you should be aware of the way teenagers speak, but you should also be aware of the fact that the way teenagers speak is constantly changing. And by the time your book comes out, that'll probably be outdated. So focus more on the way people speak in general and how your character speaks in general and why they speak that way. I think that once you know that, that's how your teens are gonna sound authentic. But if you focus on like, oh, this is how teens sound, then you're not gonna ever capture it realistically because you're trying to capture an entire fleeting moment as opposed to a person. Mm -hmm. So uh, a, a modern day question here. Curious, I, want, I wanted to see your, your take on this. Can you talk about the market for YA books in the current climate given COVID and all that's going on right now? Is it business as usual in publishing or what has changed? Um, generally, yes, I would say it's business as usual. It's just it's like 20 times slower. Um, so people are still buying books. Um, like my client's books are like getting sold out on Amazon like every week. Um, so like people are engaged and readers are engaged. I think the interesting thing that I've seen is the shifts to doing um, kind of digital launches and um, launch campaigns and uh, bookstore uh, visits. Um, and I found that uh, they have a higher attendance because it's more accessible. Um, so I, hopefully that continues to move forward post-COVID if that ever happens. <laughs> so Lev, I'm curious because your book just came out. Has that been your experience? But what, obviously it's not the same to have a book launch in this climate, but what's been the big difference? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the YA community especially has really stepped up in terms of making sure that people are still buying books. Very, at least the YA Twitter community is very active online being like, don't forget books, 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 books. And certainly as I've done more of these virtual events, I've had uh, you know, larger audiences or I've been able to work with bookstores um, across the country that I wouldn't normally be able to go to. But I also think that there is a sort of, and I love all that and I wanna keep all that, but I'm also concerned because what I'm seeing is people coming to these events and then buying the books through Amazon. And that is a concern to me because these independent bookstores or using bookshop.org, which supports your independent bookstores, they're the ones that are really gonna need the help right now. And so when people come to my events at these bookstores, um, but they bought the book off Amazon, I, I really dislike that and I wish I could, I wish there was a way to be like, no, you can only come to this virtual event if you bought the book through this bookstore, that is your only ticket in. I think that would be sort of 
fair because these bookstores are the ones going out of their way to have these events happen and make these events happen. And um, they're not getting all the payoff from it. Mm -hmm. So here, here's an interesting question. Lev, I'll start with you on this one. Do you ever have teen readers read parts of your manuscript to see if it feels authentic to them? Do I ever have a teen authenticity reader? I consult with my friends' teen children on stuff, but I do not give them the entire book to read and critique because I do not think my ego could handle it. Um, teens are mean. Um, but I think, like, Jack of Hearts and other parts, there is a sex advice column, and a lot of those questions in the sex advice column came from actual teenagers. And I, you know, I... I set up a, an anonymous email and everything um, where they could write me or I talk to their friends, I talk to my friends and their, uh, they would ask their kids. Um, and I had to rewrite those questions, obviously. I made them more storylined and, and, and gave them a little, gave them different character. But I definitely always talk to kids about stuff like that because um, I want to know what they want to know. Um, but that is a, a unique situation. I think generally, you know, if you have regular access to a teenager you can handle critique from, you know, there's no harm in talking, in having them read the book. But it's not something I think every uh, author of YA needs to do. <laughs> gotcha. And curious, is this ever something you recommend to your clients? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, a lot of my clients are on the younger side um, anyway, but, uh, yeah, I, they seem to get it on their own. I don't know if they're maybe consulting with their younger siblings or cousins or something, but I've never felt that um, any parts of it were inauthentic to teens. So last question, it's a, it's a question, one from the audience and one that I wanted to ask anyway, but to wrap things up, uh, just general advice that you would give to people looking to write young adult. And the question from the audience was advice specifically for teenagers that want to write a young adult book. So if, if each of you wouldn't mind touching on just general advice, then if that advice is different to what you'd say to a teenager, uh, getting to that as well. Uh, Lev, let's start with you. I think that the best writing advice I've ever gotten, and this goes beyond YA, but the best advice I've ever gotten was, you know, there are a lot of good writers out there in the world, and a lot of them do not get published. And I think that that is, and, and, Sorry, this is quoting someone. And the reason for that is because you have to be able to handle rejection and keep on going. Um, you know, you can write an amazing book, but you need people who believe in it to champion it. And you need to get past, you know, a lot of these weird, weird barriers in this industry, like comp titles and uh, P&L estimations and stuff like that, which don't take into account, you know, why your story is special necessarily. And so it's about just trying and trying and trying until someone gives you that break. And I think that that goes double for YA, which can be especially hard to break into um, because they get a lot of submissions. And I'm sure Carissa can speak to that. Um, but uh, if you're a teenager, especially like, you know, that you're good for you, you got a head start on it, but like this is 
going to be something that is difficult. This is going to be something that involves you getting rejected a lot and you have to learn to build up that skin and you have to learn how to take critique and you have to learn how to just keep moving forward with all that on you. And that, yeah, that's really the best advice I can give to anyone trying to write. Teresa, what advice would you give? Um, my number one is read, read YA, um, if that's what you wanna write, especially stuff that's come out in the last couple of years. Um, read it not for necessarily for enjoyment, you know, although you should enjoy it, but to study the craft of how the writer is writing the story, what makes it good, what things you see that you know you might consider not necessarily good. Um, so critique the novel as you read it. Um, and another thing that goes on um, with the rejection is persistence because writing is a job if you're trying to write professionally. Um, you're gonna have to write the same book over and over again many times probably, or at least revise it um, many times. Um, many of my clients are, have had to do like maybe 10 drafts of a, of a manuscript before it's ready to be published or even ready to go on submission. Um, so writing, 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 writing is also important too. Gotcha. Thank you both. This, uh, you both have been so great in, in talking about young adult, um, all of its intricacies. So this is where I tell you both goodbye. Thank you for being here. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So now I want to go over how you can get involved with the Twitter pitch party. Um, so I'm going to share screen real quick with you. We're going to go a little bit over. I hope that's okay. Um, here we go. All right. So after every episode, as usual, we do a pitch party on Twitter uh, using the, hit, the hashtag PitGotham, which you can see right there on your screen, P-I-T-G-O-T-H-A-M. Uh, you have until Friday to get your pitches in. Uh, and I will take some of the some of the pitches and send them on to Curisa for feedback. Uh, this is all on the website on the inside writing page, but I just want to go over some of the the points before you jump into pitching. Uh, make sure you condense your your book pitch into a single tweet. Multiple tweet pitches are not allowed. That said, if you have more than one book to pitch, you may pitch them all. Just use separate tweets for each. Come up with a good comparable title or two. Uh, focus on what makes your book unique. Usually that's the protagonist and the main drive of the plot. Uh, and end with a hook, something enticing to leave the agent wanting more. Remember, you're not trying to give the whole story away. You just want to pique their interest. Uh, and most importantly, make sure you include the hashtag P-I-T-G-O-T-H-A-M in your tweet. If you don't hashtag that, I'm not able to find it. So make sure you do that. Uh, what's next for Inside Writing? Next week, we have two episodes, actually. Uh, on Wednesday, we have Middle Grade. And then the next day on Thursday, we have a special bonus episode talking about diversity and publishing. Uh, registration is currently open for both episodes on the Gotham website. Of course, they are free as always. So go ahead and sign up for them. And I will see you then. Thank you all for joining us.